0: Since I don't usually bring a small appliance with me, we'll just get the elephant in the room acknowledged. Does everybody know what this is? Toaster? How many people think it's a toaster? What do you do with a toaster? You put bread in a toaster and it makes toast, right? We're all on the same page here? So I even have some bread. It's real bread. If you were here with us a couple of months ago, I had some fake bread and we started talking about form versus substance, but this is the real deal. And so I'm going to put the bread in the toaster, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Hold that thought. I don't want to get caught up in that. Um, so we're continuing a sermon series, and uh, it's titled Supernatural. And this is our final week in the Supernatural series. But I hope it's not our final week of being focused on the supernatural and on the Holy Spirit's role in our lives and how the Holy Spirit moves us from what we are capable of in and of ourselves into the realm of the supernatural, into that which is beyond us, that which people around us would say, that's that's not natural. Uh, I don't know if they ever had them here, but we had these uh, commercials when we lived in Casper because there was a Denver mattress company there, and and there would be something that would take place, and they'd say... That's not natural. <laughs> you know, and it, it wasn't natural. And there should be things taking place in our lives that people look at them and say, That's not natural. What's going on there? And they lean in and they ask a question, and it gives us an opportunity to give glory to God, to point to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing about supernatural things, supernatural events, supernatural occurrences in our lives. So far, we've talked about the Holy Spirit being a supernatural gift that God gives to us, that Jesus promised to us in John 14, and then He instructed His disciples on the role of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about supernatural love. We've talked about supernatural unity. We've talked about supernatural mission that God has called us to and sent us on. And last week, we talked about supernatural prayer. And in all of these, we've been focusing on moving beyond the human, moving beyond the natural to the supernatural. That it's natural to love our families and those that are close to us, but it's supernatural to love those that are not like us at all. Or it's natural to agree with the people that look and act and sound a lot like us and have unity with them, but it's supernatural when we can experience the same unity of purpose and be of one heart and one mind, like the prayer we looked at last week, with those that maybe don't look or act like us, didn't come from the same place or the same neighborhood, or don't necessarily think the same things about everything, but we can have one heart, one mind, one purpose with others. And so we've been focusing on John, uh, and specifically Jesus' teachings, John 14, 15, 16. We've looked at the book of Acts as we see this playing out. Uh, Oftentimes, that is, in your Bible, it'll say it's the Acts of the Apostles. But I think it'd be more accurate to describe the book of Acts as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because we see every major breakthrough and advancement of the mission of God through the people of God in the book of Acts, It begins with the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowering. And that's what we've been looking at. And uh, I didn't mention this early on, but for those of you that would like a little extra credit, um, if you're really interested in this and we haven't been able to cover everything in great detail, I wrote about a 20-page paper on this subject in seminary. And it is a seminary paper, so i got to use big words and i got to you know, footnote everything and all of that. But if you're interested in this and you'd like to go a little bit deeper and maybe even look at some other scriptures and look at some other resources that would be there, just send an email to mark, M-A-R-C, at linwoodchurch.org and I'll be happy to send you that paper and you can take it for what it's worth. Um, but that would be a way that you could go a little deeper in this study since we're kind of coming uh, to the end of it. But today we're going to be talking about a supernatural life. We're going to be talking about a supernatural life. We will start in the book of John and Jesus' teachings in the book of John, in that last discourse in John 15, and then we will wrap it all up with what Paul has to say about a supernatural life. Uh, it's, it's fitting that we should spend a little time in what Paul had to say on this, since Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament in his letters to the churches and instructing them. And so that will be what we talk about today, because I believe... That God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit has a vision for your life. For every single person in this room's life and for every single person not in this room's life. And that is the vision for a supernatural life. Not a series of disconnected supernatural moments where you get a high every now and then, every few weeks, every few months, but where we live and move and have our being in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that our lives become supernatural lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start in John 15. I invite you to turn there. It's page 1676, if you have one of our hardcover blue Bibles. Uh, The context for this is it's right smack in the middle of the last discourse. It's an extended teaching of Jesus that John records for us, it differs in some ways from the other gospel accounts that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, this last discourse fleshes out a lot of Jesus' central teachings that he really wanted to make sure. It's kind of like a commencement address. In his last 24 to 48 hours of his life, these were the things that were on his heart to share with his disciples. And at the end of John chapter 14, he has just promised to give them the Holy Spirit. That's what we looked at at the beginning of this series. And then there's this little phrase at the end of John 14 that says, Come now, let us leave. And the image I have of this next teaching that we have in John 15, verses 1 through 17, is Jesus leading his disciples from the upper room where the Last Supper and the washing of feet through Jerusalem, up onto the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the next location that we have. So I want you to picture them walking through the streets of Jerusalem, walking through the Valley of Kidron, walking perhaps through a vineyard. And then he says in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. As we continue, think about some recurring themes in what we've already read and what we're about to read and see if you can identify a couple of things that I'll be focusing on as we look at this passage in a little more detail. In verse 9, he continues, "'As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete.'" My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, that you love one another. So there's a couple different themes that you probably picked up on in that, that phrases or words or uh, concepts that arise multiple times in that passage of Scripture. And the first one that I think we must acknowledge is this concept of remaining. Look at verse 4 of this passage. Verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you have a different translation of Scripture, it might say, Abide. Abide in me. This is how I first learned this uh, passage or or, uh, remember this passage, and so I often think about this idea of abiding in Christ. But we see the word remain in our New International Version four times in one verse, and then it comes up another seven times in the next six verses. And so we better know what that word means and what Jesus is instructing his disciples and us through extension to do. That word means to abide. Abide means to live. He's basically saying dwell in me, dwell in my love, take up residence in me and in my love, live there. Live in me and in my love. So we could say first and foremost a supernatural life. The life that God deeply desires for us to have. Jesus said back in John 10.10, Remember, I came that they would have life and have it more abundantly. Or the New Living Translation says, I came that they would have a rich and satisfying life. A supernatural life is a life lived in Christ and in Christ's love. He talks about abiding in Him and abiding in His love. That becomes our place of residence, not merely a place that you visit occasionally, not just an hour on Sunday morning and maybe every now and then as a small group or a Wednesday night or a Bible study or something like that, but it's the place that we live, it's the place that we abide, the place that we return to as soon as we realize that we have departed. Because remaining in Christ and in His love, we're told, is the source of our power, that we can do nothing without it. And so here we've been for 20 minutes, maybe, well, not 20 minutes, what, five minutes since I started, and there's no toast, right? It's still just bread, because unless you plug this thing in, it's not a toaster. You were all wrong. It was a trick question, but without plugging this into some source of power, it's a shiny black box for two pieces of bread. It will not toast them. But an amazing thing happens... When you plug that thing in, and it remains connected to the power source, now it can do what it was created to do. Prior to it receiving power, prior to it being connected like a vine to the branch. It's even smoking a little bit. It's really working. I'm hoping that you can smell the fresh toasted bread in just a minute. Because Jesus used objects of everyday life, or Articles of clothing or, or walking through farmland and, and use these teaching examples to remind and to instruct and to help people understand. So that's part of my goal in bringing this toaster in is that from now on when you go to make a piece of toast, which we got four kids that are breadaholics, they love toast and we make toast all the time. Maybe you'll remember this and you'll, it'll be something that will return you back to God, to the source of, of your power because this is getting toasted now. It's able to do what it's supposed to do just like Jesus said. Just like Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit, no toaster can make toast unless it is connected to the to the vine. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remaining in Christ is the source of the power of a supernatural life. And I, I had to just smile this morning I was reading my daily Bible reading. I read a p- chapter from the New Testament and a chapter from the Old Testament. I just march through things and I get kind of random and sometimes I'll get on something and go with it for a while. And this morning I was in Zechariah chapter 4. And Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I said, Oh, thanks, God. I'm preaching on that. That's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. That it's not by our strength, our natural strength, or our natural power, but by his supernatural power at work within us that enables and empowers a supernatural life. Otherwise, we're just a toaster, not plugged in. So you saying, well, that's great, Pastor Mark. How do I do it? You know, a lot of times early in my faith walk, I would say, Well, that's that's wonderful, Pastor, but how? Yes, but how? Yes, but how? Okay, I agree, but how? So, I want to spend a little bit of time giving you some practical advice for how to remain in Christ, how to live a life of faith in Christ. I bet Ryan wants a piece of toast. Do you want a piece? This doesn't have any butter. Do you want a piece? All right, you can come have a piece. Wave it around so people can smell it. No, I'm joking. (laughs) It smells good. Toast is unique, right? It's fresh bread. It makes people hungry. That's what our lives should be. So here's some practical advice for remaining and living in Christ and in Christ's love. First and foremost, no surprise, read your Bible. Read God's Word every day. Yes, every day. You can do it. I don't care how busy you are. I'm busy. I haven't missed a day in six years. Because I decided that this was the most important thing that I could do to grow into the supernatural life that God wants me to have. So I started reading my Bible every single day. Technology has actually helped me with this. Because even when we travel, I always take my phone. I can read my Bible on my phone. And then I brought in a little accountability from the great cloud of witnesses. And I started posting scripture every single day. To the point that people would ask me if they didn't see that scripture. If I forgot to click post. Hey, are you, you all right, Pastor Mark? I haven't seen the scripture. Are you doing okay? And there were a couple days where I did forget, but that reminded me, and the, the people around me reminded me. And I would encourage you not just to read it passively, but to study it and to ask God to apply it to your life, to spend time in the Word and ask, how does this apply to my life? How am I to be different tomorrow because I had this encounter with the Word of God today? And this is one way that you start to see the Spirit show up in your daily life and bring you into a supernatural life. The second one is to pray continually. Pray continually. Yes, continually. That means you never really stop. You might hit pause because you have to go to this meeting, but you can live a lifestyle of prayer. And, and some of the mystics, some of the great saints of the church in the past talked about breathing in and out prayer, that as they breathed, it was an act of prayer, and they, they developed this in their lives. And so, yes, Bible reading... And prayer. It's kind of like when you ask somebody how they lost all that weight, and the last thing you want to hear them say is, well, diet and exercise. I I ate less, and I exercised more, or I I ate better, and I, I, I worked out a little bit more, and you want, no, anything but that. Give me the silver bullet so that I don't have to do diet and exercise. I want to keep eating what I'm already eating, and I don't want to have to work out and sweat, but Nine times out of ten, when somebody loses the weight and keeps it off, it's diet and exercise. And Nine times out of ten, in my experience as a pastor for over ten years, when somebody gets significantly closer to God and to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit begins to work more and more in their lives, they trace it back to Bible reading, Bible study, and prayer. These are the irreducible characteristics, habits, disciplines of a Spirit-led life. Another one that I talk about often is journaling. Journal regularly. Journal regularly. Spend time processing God's Word with a pen in your hand and a piece of paper in front of you. And I added a note there to review the journal regularly. Don't just write it and forget it. There's value in that, believe me, that I've heard people say thoughts disentangle themselves as they move from my mind through my hand through the pen onto the paper that You can only write about a hundred words a minute. You can think about a thousand, right? And you got thoughts going in a thousand different directions. But when you have to focus on a thought long enough to write it out, it gets clearer. And then if you develop the, the habit of going back every week and reading over the week and going back every month and reading over the month, some of the best pages in my journal are where I have seen a theme or a trend emerge over a month or two or over a week or two, and I've realized God's trying to show me something, trying to teach me something that I didn't see in the day-to-day, but that I do see when I review it. So journal regularly and review it regularly. Make this a part of your daily life, and the Spirit will bring insight to what you're reading in Scripture and what you're praying about and what you're interacting with as you journal, and you will begin to live a spiritual life life, a supernatural life, and you'll have insight. And that will fuel the last group here of worship, fellowship, service, evangelism, sharing your faith, being on mission, going To your church, not to get something, but to give something. Going to your church to serve. Going to your church to touch somebody's life or make some connection or introduce somebody you don't know, don't recognize, to somebody that you do know and do recognize. And going out these doors into this world and serving in Jesus' name, that all becomes empowered by those spiritual disciplines. And so that's some practical advice. There's others. There's great books on this. Celebration of Discipline is a great book on building spiritual disciplines into your life and daily, weekly, monthly, annual rhythms. There are a lot of great resources out there if you need some. Again, mark at LinwoodChurch.org. I'd be happy to recommend a couple. And here's what I want you to understand about this. All this that we've been talking about is for you, but it's not just about you. All this is for you and it benefits you tremendously and living a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit benefits you tremendously, but it's not about you. And we have to remind ourselves of this often, that, that living a supernatural life and reading our Bible every day and praying continually and journaling regularly and worshiping and fellowshipping and sharing our faith and serving those around us, is good for us, but it's not ultimately about us. And that's the other big theme that I want us to see in this passage that, that we'll look at again. Go back to verse 4 again, and we'll see this idea of bearing fruit pop up in four different verses in this passage. And so in verse 4, it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the purpose of this remaining, the purpose of this abiding, this purpose of welcoming the Spirit into our lives on a regular basis that we could live a supernatural life is to bear fruit, to bear fruit for God, to bear fruit for His kingdom. That's the purpose. And we're told that when we remain in Him, He will remain in us, almost as if it's automatic. When you remain in me, when you abide in me, when you make up your dwelling and your residence in me, in my love, I will abide in you. I will remain in you. He's not going to walk out the back door and leave you on your own. When you remain in him and abide in him, he remains in you and abides in you. And then we go from bearing fruit to bearing much fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me and I in him or her, he or she will bear much fruit. Not just fruit, but much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think, I think he's talking about not just a one-time event, not just remain in me that one time or that once a week or that once a month, but remain, live, take up residence. Do that long-term, and I'm in you, and you're in me, and I'm in you, and there's fellowship, and there's give and take, and there's insight, and there's wisdom, and all these things start to take place, and there's this reciprocal relationship. He talks about pruning in the first few verses. There may be some things that he points at, and he says, you know, this this limb is not bearing any fruit whatsoever. Let's get rid of that so that these can bear more fruit. And then we go from bearing fruit to bearing much fruit, because we're in him, and he's in us, and we get this going long-term. And I love that last little line that he has there on verse 4 or 5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I used to always read that as apart from me, you can't do anything worthwhile, right? And I think that's certainly a meaning. But I think there's a literal meaning that apart from him, you can do nothing. But once you start abiding in him and him and you and you live in his love, you can't. Do nothing. I know that's a double negative and those get confusing. But he's basically saying once you're abiding in me and I'm abiding in you and you start living a supernatural life, you lose the capacity to do nothing. You lose the capacity to not respond when you see a need that God prompts you to meet. You lose the capacity to do nothing. Because apart from him we can do nothing, but with him, abiding in him, we can't. We can't do nothing anymore. And we keep on moving down to verse 8. We go from just much fruit to this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So, so not only is it like nice for us to go from bearing fruit to bearing much fruit, but now he directs that, that this is to God's glory. When we move from just bearing no fruit to bearing fruit to now bearing much fruit, it's to God's glory. And it shows us to be his disciples. He says when you bear much fruit, you glorify God and you show yourself To be my disciples. And he goes and he talks about commands. And he says, You know, anyone who keeps my commands is my disciple. And back in John 13, he said the same thing. He said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. He clarifies, just in case they forgot, because we know from reading the Gospels, these disciples, they forgot a lot, didn't they? They're very encouraging to me that how often they forget what the purpose is, what the big idea is, what the point is. So he told them in John thirteen thirty four that this is the new command that I give you, that you love one another. And then in 35, he says, this is how the whole world's going to know that you're my disciples, is that you love one another. And here he reminds us again that his command is to love and that we are his disciples when we We love as he loved us. And finally, in verse 16, we see that we go from fruit to much fruit, to fruit that glorifies God, to fruit that lasts, fruit that will remain. Verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit. That will last then my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So we go from fruit to much fruit, fruit that glorifies God, to fruit that will remain. It's the same word. In the Greek language, the same word as fruit that will last" is the word that we translated as "remain," over and over in that passage. And many translations of the Bible do say, "Bear fruit that will remain. Fruit that remains is fruit that reproduces itself. That's the beauty of fruit. That it's got a seed inside of it. So whether it's tomatoes, or which is actually a fruit, and we talk about this in our family all the time, that tomatoes, yes, they are a fruit. They're not also a vegetable. So when we say eat some fruit and some vegetable, you can't use tomato for both in our house, all right? But we talk about culinary fruit and botanical fruit. Botanical fruit has got a seed inside of it. That's the definition. So even cucumbers are fruit. But peaches are also fruit. Anything with a seed inside of it, and that fruit that remains will bear more fruit that will also remain, and the fruit will reproduce itself. And that's what we are to be, that we would be disciples who make disciples. And Jesus' last words were to go and make disciples that will make disciples, that will make disciples, so that there would be two billion Christians 2,000 years later instead of just a handful that died in the first generation. We have to reproduce. Christians have to reproduce Christians. Disciples have to make disciples. And so when we remain in Christ and he remains in us, we will bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that glorifies God, and fruit that remains, even supernatural fruit. How are we doing on time? Wow, we've got two minutes to cover Galatians 5. Anybody got a lunch reservation? Anybody want the second piece of toast? <laughs> it's kind of dry now. You know, toast has a shelf life of about two minutes. You've got to get that butter melted in and get it, get it eaten. But I do want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and I do want to look at what Paul has to say and I'll try to keep this uh, concise because I could talk about this for another 30 or 40 minutes. It's such a powerful concept that the Holy Spirit would come into us and bear fruit, supernatural fruit, fruit that lasts, fruit that brings glory to God, fruit that remains. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. He says, I say... Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We haven't even talked about getting sin out of our lives. We've only talked about bringing God into our lives and the Holy Spirit into our lives through Bible reading, through prayer, through journaling, through serving, through being on mission. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. All the things we've just been talking about. You have a sin nature. You were born with it. It desires what is contrary to that. The total opposite of that. They are in conflict with each other, the spirit and the sin nature, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law anymore. The law becomes largely irrelevant when we are led by the spirit, when the spirit is in us and we are in the spirit, when we're remaining and abiding, then the law becomes largely irrelevant because the law has to do with that ego, that sin nature, that self And the Spirit leads us in the opposite direction. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I love and the like. Pretty comprehensive sin list there. And yet he realized, I might not have gotten your favorite sin, so I'll just go ahead and add and the like to that, so that if I didn't name it specifically, you know it's also included. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this, who abide in these behaviors, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step With the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So Paul is talking about the interplay between the sinful nature and the Spirit. That the sinful nature, the ego, the false self, it sends us in the direction opposite of the Spirit. The Spirit is moving in this direction. The sin nature is always going to be moving in that direction. And so in verse 16, when he says to live by the Spirit, it's a word picture once again, and he's literally saying walk by the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, live and move and have your being in the Spirit. Some translations of the New Testament translate this as walk by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit, and it literally means to conduct your life in and with the power of the Spirit, to follow the Spirit, to be occupied with the Spirit. And so it's talking about participation with the Spirit. That you go on a walk with somebody, you're doing it together. And you're participating in that walk together. You're moving through life together. It's not just intellectual agreement. I think this is where the church has kind of sold itself short, and Christianity has largely sold itself short, is it has settled for intellectual agreement to a list of doctrines or beliefs and not participation with the Spirit that falls out of those doctrines and those beliefs. Because if it's all about ideas, you don't actually need to do anything. You just have to think the right things and maybe say the right things. Or think and talk about it correctly or more correctly than somebody else and you feel okay. But Paul is talking about, Jesus is talking about, the New Testament is talking about living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, participating in the Spirit. we got a slide here with a map of Paris. You could study the map of Paris. You can see the Eiffel Tower on there. You can see the Arctic Trump. You can see the Symphony. You can see the different places, and you could study that map and know all about getting around Paris. And that would be neat, but it's no substitute for going to Paris and seeing it yourself, is it? And so many people settle for thinking about and talking about these ideas and never participating. It's not the same. It's not the same to study the map. To study the signposts, to study the directions, to have the right ideas and talk about the right ideas if we don't go and actually do them. It's not enough to just think about and talk about love correctly if we don't actually go and participate with the Holy Spirit in living a life of supernatural love. It's kind of like, you could have a PhD in botany, but if you don't ever go and actually garden, you're going to starve to death. And an average gardener will be better fed than a guy with a PhD in botany who never does any actual gardening. Do you see the connection that I'm making there? It's the difference between engineering and actually building something. And the best engineers are the ones that go to the job site and they learn. They say, oh, wow, that worked on paper, but it doesn't work in real life. Tell me why. Help me learn. And then the next time they do it differently. And so it moves from theory and ideas and words to actual participation with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's the vision that God has for us to the supernatural life is a life that we live in step with the Spirit he says in verse 22 and 23 that we get to participate in the bearing of this fruit, right? The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That it's supernatural love, supernatural joy, supernatural peace that we are called to. That the Spirit's going to bear that in our lives as we move through life, with it, as we live by the Spirit from verse 16. And then in case there was any doubt, in verse 25 it says, Live by the Spirit Again, keep in step with the Spirit, because the flesh, the sin, has been crucified. He says this earlier in Galatians, in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified by Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me, and the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And now we're seeing all this converge, and Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to lead us into this supernatural life that was his vision for us from the beginning. That we no longer do the acts of the sinful nature, which he describes in verse 19. We begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Not acts that our flesh brings about, but the fruit that the Spirit bears in our lives. Because there's no law against those things. Did you catch that in verse 23? Against such things there is no law. Against the fruit of the Spirit, against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, there's no law against those things. There's a law against the acts of the sinful nature, but there's no law against it. The law becomes irrelevant as we keep in step with the Spirit. And I've used this illustration many times, and I will use it many more times, that keeping in step with the Spirit is not me saying to the Spirit, hey, I've got to go over here and I've got to do this thing and it's got to work, so I need you to come with me and make it work with your supernatural power. Keeping in step with the Spirit is discerning through Scripture, through prayer, through journaling and insight, through worship, through fellowship, through study, discerning where is the Spirit going and how do I keep in step with the Spirit? Oh, you weren't going over there at all. You were going over here. Oh, okay, let me keep in step with you and live a supernatural life that we would participate, that we would walk with the Spirit. So the bottom line today, the bottom line of the whole series, is that a supernatural life of supernatural love bears supernatural fruit. That when we spend time every day nourishing our soul with the supernatural, with the Spirit of God, through His Word, through prayer, through journaling, through serving, through sharing our faith, that that opens the door. We abide in him. He abides in us. We remain in him. He remains in us. We live in him. He lives in us. We make it harder than it is. And that that supernatural life of abiding in Christ will bring about supernatural love, and it will bear supernatural fruit, supernatural love, supernatural joy, supernatural peace, peace that people say, well, how are you able to be so calm in those circumstances? going through that trial, dealing with that financial problem, dealing with that medical problem. How are you able to have that? And you point to the supernatural peace that you have because you live a supernatural life. This is the vision that I believe God has for every single person in this world. And he enlists us to lead the way. He enlists us to be the ministers of reconciliation because we're living the supernatural life of supernatural love that's bearing supernatural fruit so that people are asking us about it on a regular basis. And we say, come and see. Come and see. Come with me. Let me introduce you to the person who changed my life. And so, as we bring this message to a close, there are a thousand different ways that this could apply to you. There are a thousand different people that could be on your heart right now. There are a thousand different responses of faith that could take place in this room. And I just hope that each and every one of us will lean into that. will say, God, where are you challenging me? Where are you affirming me? Where are you asking me to take a next step? Where are you pointing me? Who are you laying on my heart to reach out to, to put on a prayer uh, slip and pray for on a regular basis, to make a phone call on the way home? And that we would be a people who respond in faith every time the Spirit lays conviction upon us. You can come to, as Zach laid it out so well, Pastor Zach just explained, we have altars, we have the cross, you can make an altar where you're seated. You can go to the far altars and someone will pray with you. You can come to the the inside altars and pray by yourself. However you choose to respond, don't let the moment pass. Because it could be setting up the next moment and the next response in faith. And the cumulative effect of responding in faith to God's word cannot be overstated. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the vision that you have for our lives. That it is a vision for a supernatural life. That you don't want us to just have ordinary lives that we live in our own power and we go through and we struggle and we strive and we have difficulties. But that we would have a supernatural life where we could be in step with your spirit every moment of every day, that we could live lives of supernatural love and bear supernatural fruit as a result. Help us to be a people of the word. Help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to be people of reflection and insight. Be peoples of service discipleship, of evangelism, of worship, of fellowship, of all the purposes that you have for us that are good and right. Help us to lean into them today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.